Amen. He is our one defense, our righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. It's a lot of things that we think we need in this life. Things, things that we think we can't live without. Things that we uh, put on a pedestal and, and make an idol in, in our own lives. But the only thing that we truly need, the only person that we truly need is God and God alone. We need God to get out of bed in the morning. And I don't know where the places you've been, where we're headed into Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And, and if you, you, you need God to, to do whatever it is that you're going to be doing in those moments as well. <laughs> to get up and go to work. Or, unfortunately, some of you are retired. We still need God in those moments. Oh, how I need you. Every hour. Oh, how I need you. Wow, man, I am blessed, extremely blessed and grateful uh, just to be able to stand before you here today. Um, we're in, a, in the midst of a series um, going through this book called I Am a Church Member, written by Tom Rayner. Um, really great, short book, so it's good for you if you're a slow reader. It's, it's, it's cool for that, but we're taking week by week, and I am uh, kind of crafting and, and going into um, each sermon uh, based on a chapter here in this book because I think it's really important for us to understand why it is that we come to church. And it's not a tick mark that we, we have. And so if we get enough tick marks then we're allowed into heaven. That's not how things work. And, and you're not saved just because you're, you're, you're taking your spot up in the pew. I hate to tell you that. Or actually, I don't hate to tell you that. You need to know that. That, that by being here, taking up your, your, your place in the pew does not get you into heaven. But what does it mean to be an effective member of God's church? So I, th I thought it was great for us to take some time here at the end of the year to be really thinking and pondering on that. This, this week, we're um, going to be covering kind of chapter three here. So if you've been following along, hopefully during the week, you read the chapter and just really be thinking about um, what this means, what this looks like for you. How do you be an effective church member? What does that mean and what does that look like for you in your life? This morning we're going to be in uh, the book of Mark in um, chapter 9, verses 30 through 35. Um, I'm also excited today because uh, we're going to take a trip to go visit my family in Missouri, uh, for which we haven't seen for a couple of years because of this whole pandemic type stuff that's going on. And so I'm really excited to go see my parents. I haven't been able to spend any time with them. Uh, we, we've done some Zoom calls and uh, talked on the phone and all that kind of stuff, but it's just not the same, you know, you know, just to go and to be in the same room and share a hug and laugh and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them uh, starting this afternoon. Um, and then I'm also going to get to see my, my brother and his wife and my new nephew. Um, haven't seen them in, in years and years. Um, we got a picture here of my, my new nephew, uh, Raymond Sanders Jr., or RJ for short. Isn't he cute? Yes. Just a nice little 
bundle of joy. So I'm, I'm anxious to introduce myself, introduce Uncle Vaughn and Aunt Libby to, uh, to our little nephew there. Um, but he's cute now, but wait until he starts saying no. Just, just wait until, you know, he gets angry and starts wanting to hit. My, my, this is the, my brother's first child, so they're in for a treat. <laughs> and I'm not saying that being a parent is bad. There's there's ton of things that are great, but you fall into some of those things where you have to teach your children um, what the best way it is to respond. It's funny that we don't have to teach our children how to be selfish. You know, they, they come out, they start saying, no, mine, and they want to take things away. We have to teach them how to share. It's funny that, that the kids just grow up and they just think about themselves. How dare they? Who do they think they are? They just come and just want to do their own thing. But that's the way we are made as people. And if we are driven by our flesh, our flesh just wants to look out for self. Our flesh tells us, well, don't worry about anybody else. Just worry about your own world. And we've got to be taught how to think about others. We've got to be, be taught how to be kind and gracious to others because, it, it, frankly, for most of us, it doesn't come naturally. There's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the premise of that book is the, the way that you endear yourself to other people is really just by letting them, them talk about themselves and that you ask questions about them. And, and amazingly, you can go through a conversation hardly saying anything about yourself, but continuing to ask questions and be interested in them, and they'll walk away liking you more because they were able to talk about the thing that they care about the most, themselves. But that's not how God has designed us. You know, when we operate in our flesh, we primarily think about ourselves. What's, what's in it for me, right? How is that going to make me feel? Or is, is this going to be a burden for me? Will I have time? We think about all these things throughout the course of the day, focused and identifying only with ourselves. Our fleshly desire is to go through life concerned about ourselves and our own well-being. It's just how it is. It's how it works. But brothers and sisters, it's not about you. It is not about you. Ultimately, this life isn't about your needs this life isn't about your, your comfort. It's not about your feelings or what makes you happy. Now, will you get some of that? Will you be happy? Will you have comfort? Probably, maybe. I mean, we live in the most prosperous place in the whole world. I would bet that you have some semblance of happiness and comfort in your life when you compare yourself to folks in other parts of the world. So yes, you'll certainly have those things. But first, we are to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. That's our first thing. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody's been in their Bible. We already assume that you're going to love yourself because remember, we're selfish by nature our flesh just wants to think about ourselves. So why don't you love your neighbor like you love 
yourself. Hmm. When we focus on these things, when we focus on God, when we love our neighbor, everything else will fall into place. Here we're going to jump into Mark. Um, Jesus and his crew are uh, on a journey to Jerusalem. And uh, for the second time here in this passage, he predicts the, the passion event and highlights the essential things of the kingdom and the characteristics and this Christ-like humanity that he has and also uh, tells us about this childlike trust. So look with me in Mark 9. We'll start in verse 30. Here God's word reads, They went out on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask. It's interesting here, if we pause, time after time, Jesus is going through and he's training his disciples. He's trying to educate them, and, and, and he's given us example of what discipleship looks like. He brings these people along while he's doing ministry so that they can catch what's happening. They can learn firsthand of what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ. And they're going through, they're trying the best they can to learn from them, but this stuff is just foreign. They, they didn't understand. They had no idea what was going on. They just hadn't gotten it yet. And Jesus repeats and emphasizes that this suffering and resurrection was about to take place. But they're like, what are you talking about? What, what, what do you mean by this? And, and not only that, they were afraid to ask. All they, all they had to do was like, Jesus, what, what exactly do you mean? by all of this, but they just didn't get it. They didn't understand why it was necessary for the Messiah to die. And then as it pertains to the resurrection, the, the only concept they had uh, was this, or this awareness was of a future resurrection of mankind at the last judgment. So when they, Jesus was like, he's going to come back. Well, oh, aren't we all going to come back? Like, what do, you, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What's happening here? Then in verse 33, it says, they came to Capernaum, Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. This is funny to me. Because I'm, as I'm reading through this and I'm picturing the guys and they're walking along the way and they're having this discussion, I'm picturing the guys like, hey, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, I, I, I put in the most work, so obviously I'm going to be the one that's going to step up and do all this and people are going to look to me like, no, it's not going to be you, it's going to be me because I really did all these things and, and, and I, man, I can't see how they would pass me over for you. I mean, who do you think you are? And they're having this discussion and going back and forth and, and bantering. It reminds me like being in a barbershop and having some discussions. And they're, they're talking about these, these all, all these different topics that are coming up. And people want to look smarter than they really are. And they have more responsibility, more leadership than what they actually do. And then all of a sudden, while they're having this conversation, shh, shh, be quiet, here comes Jesus. Shh, shh. Hey, be quiet, be quiet. And they're just 
cut it all down. And, and even though they, they didn't understand what was happening, what was going on, uh, they, they're, they're, they, they quit their boasting, they quit their laughing and all this, and they, they're judging of one another. And Jesus uh, comes on, and you could probably hear the record scratch to a stop. Everything stops, you can hear a pin drop. Like Jesus would notice <laughs> that they were together having this conversation. These disciples, they're disputing over their positions of honor, and it shows how much they just didn't understand. They clearly hadn't gotten it yet. And at this time, when they're having the conversation, it's easy to understand why, because honor was a big thing at that time. Honor and prestige is important in this society. But Jesus comes along and he encourages them to develop a style of servant leadership that's completely different from the oppressive and the suppressive ways of the political and religious leaders that they were surrounded by. He's like, you got to think differently. We're not going to follow what the world is doing. We're not going to follow what society is doing. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want you to act. Like we see throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus is bringing about a, a revolution in the way of our thinking. He's just countercultural the entire way. And so it was easy to see why it was hard to understand. It was easy to see because it was very different. But here's the point. Here's the crux of this particular passage here in verse 35. It says, he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servants of all. I mean, this is countercultural today. Think about back then. It's like if anybody is going to be the greatest, if they're going to be the first, then he must be last of all and servants of all. The question for you, how important do you think it is for us to understand the importance of servanthood? From a biblical perspective, how important do you think that is for us to understand this idea of being a servant? Well, it's important enough that the word servant it shows up 57 times in the New Testament. It's important enough that serve alone is found 58 times in the New Testament. So it's something that we ought to get. I'm going to give you a tip. When you're doing your daily Bible reading, it took me a while to write in my Bible. I felt like it was something that like, you shouldn't do, but I think it's good and helpful. If you, if you, even if you want to, maybe buy a, a, a junk Bible or something that you can write in because when you find something that is repeated time over time, I want you to underline or circle it. That's going to help you connect to, hey, maybe there's something here that I need to be paying attention to. Well, wow, look at all the times I'm seeing servant. I wonder what that means. Maybe I should be a servant. So this is good and healthy for you as you're doing your daily Bible reading to go through and engage your mind enough that you're looking for these things that are repeated that stand out to you so that you can understand and really drive to the purpose of what God is telling you through his word. The Lord is trying to teach us something by continuously bringing it up. Some of us, I don't know if you're like me, some of us are hard-headed. And it takes a few times. 
It takes a couple of times for us to really get it. And so we need to hear it and see it more than just once. Here, Jesus is saying that we must be servants of all. I don't know what version you're reading, but I didn't see servants of your friends. I, I didn't see serve the people that you like. I, I didn't notice serve the people that you most get along with. My version says, be servants of all. And that's really important and that's key. Jesus isn't attacking the leadership positions. He's not saying you can't be a leader or you shouldn't be a leader, but instead he's showing us how these types of roles should be used, how we, they should look and what would be best for the people. Greatness comes from being a servant to others and not by exalting yourself above others. This, this type of leadership where people are demanding and commanding people to do stuff that's not really the best form of leadership. A good leader leads from the front. A good leader would get their hands dirty. They wouldn't ask you to do something that they can't or wouldn't do. They, they're going to come alongside you and show you how to do what you need to do and then stand there with you while you do it, not just say, hey, you need to get this done by 2 o'clock or else you're fired. A good, a good leader would come alongside you and help you to understand what, he, what they're asking you to do. And of course, Jesus is a perfect example when it comes to this servant leadership. Mark 10 and 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, what an example that is for us that, that Jesus came and he had all rights to, to come and to be served. If anybody, he, he is, is the one that is in a place that, that will be welcome. But that's not what he did. He, he came and made himself low to serve his people. And it's by this self-giving nature that Jesus fulfills his messianic role and provides a standard for how his disciples should operate in their secondary roles. Greatness in the kingdom is judged by how we receive the weak and the powerless. Anyone will accept those who will reward them back. If you do something expecting to get back from somebody else, I mean, anybody can do that. But it's when you give without the expectation of receiving something in return, that's what we're looking after. We live in God's kingdom as we, we show God's love to those who would not know love any other way. When we seek to build a kingdom of, of power for ourselves, then we have forsaken God's way. We've just decided to do whatever it is we want to do, and then we get that fleshly selfishness back that we live in. Unfortunately, when we look at churches here today, many churches are driven by this personal preference of the people. People come into the churches and they are they go and they go to, to church hop and well, you know, I didn't I didn't like the music there or I didn't like the people, I didn't like the, the carpet, I don't like the pews. And they go from place to place trying to find and fulfill their own personal preferences. What they're not doing oftentimes is, is, is saying, well, it's the, the word of God being preached. 
as, as I'm worshiping and, and, and listening and singing with the worship team, are, are these, the, 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 the music, is the, the song saturated with scripture so I can be able to praise God? Is there a prayer? Are these, these people uh, and, uh, uh, around and, and coming together showing the importance of prayer in the ministry? Like, well, you know, they didn't, they didn't have this, and I'm, I'm used to having these things. They didn't have the, the best coffee, so I'm going to go to the next place that has better coffee. When it comes to music, for example, everybody has their own opinion. And I was reminded of this when we had the Illinois Baptist State Association annual meeting. And since I chaired the, 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 the committee responsible for putting the meeting together, after the meeting was over, we, we sat down and, and evaluated how the meeting went. Uh, did everything run smoothly? Were we on time? Um, did it flow correctly? Did we have the right components? All those type of things. And one of the things that came up was that the worship team from the church that we were at uh, led the worship. And so there were a few comments. Now, this is, um, they're in a college town, and they're attracting college students and, and the younger crowd. But the, the overwhelming response was the music was too loud. There was, we didn't need the smoke machine. The lights were too dark. And all these different things that came up, I'm like, wow, this is, this is universal. <laughs> wow, it's not just uh, these the conversations that we, we normally hear, but um, it's also happening here. And so in this capacity, we, all the churches from around the state are coming together for this annual meeting. And there's no way we can satisfy everybody's preference. It's just impossible. There would be no way. Some folks like hymns, some folks don't. And so they like worship and praise. They like guitars. They don't like drums. This just wouldn't, wouldn't be a way for us to appease and, and approve of everybody. Ultimately, given the fact that um, we, we just had all these churches come and like, well, okay, for next year, we'll try to find a balance. Like, I don't know. We'll, we'll try to figure it out. But many churches are more committed to things like that than what actually is taking place. Or maybe they're more committed to their programs that they've done year over year and the other, instead of the other ways that they can do ministry. You know, maybe years ago, this particular ministry was hot and on fire and everybody was looking for a church that had this particular program or ministry. Well, in 2022, maybe that's not the case anymore. Maybe in order to reach our uh, community and the population there, maybe it need to look something different. Maybe there's other needs in the community that will serve others better that we need to consider. There's also the issue of churches being apathetic when it comes to sharing the gospel. Very few members are going out and building relationships in the community with the goal and the purpose of sharing Jesus. With, with the express uh, written purpose of going and understanding where people are coming from, from a religious perspective, whatever they're dealing with in their lives. People are looking for hope, and we've got the answer. We've got the key. How could we keep that to ourselves? They are more concerned about their own needs and comfort than thinking about the eternal needs of the community that they're supposed to be serving. 
That's a hard pill to swallow. Sometimes, even in a good thing like a community and, and church, sometimes we often focus on the wrong things. And I hope that we will go to Scripture, we will go to the Lord and seek His face so that we can align with Him and His mission for what He has for us in this church. And that's what we're here to do. Philippians 2 and 5 says, Have this among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Man, that's a lot there. That's the example that we have set before us. Listen, we often hear people explain away their selfishness and pride. They say things like, oh, well, I can cheat on that test because I deserve to pass. Or they say, well, I can spend money on myself and, and buy these extravagant things that are beyond my means because I, I deserve it. Or maybe they go out and get an abortion because they say, well, I got a right to my own body. We're thinking about ourselves. However, as believers in Christ, you should have a different attitude. As you follow in Christ, you need to think differently. And you should be thinking like Christ. It's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about your comfort. Your attitude should enable you to put aside your so-called right in order to serve others. It's countercultural. That's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But as we think about our lives and what we're doing, our goal and our aim is to to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbors as ourselves. Put aside your own personal preference and serve others. And if you would develop this attitude of humility as you serve them, even if, even if you're not uh, going to get the recognition that you, you might deserve, you just do it anyway. You show them the love of Christ because... He showed you the ultimate love. So tell me, are you selfishly clinging to your rights or are you willing to serve others? What if Jesus took shortcuts? What if Jesus were selfish in the way that he lived his life, when Satan tempted him in the wilderness, what if Jesus just, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll give in. What if he gave in to Satan 
at that moment? What if Jesus decided that it just wasn't worth the effort because so many people were just going to deny him anyway? It's like, well, it's only going to be a few people that are going to follow me. Why? It's not even worth it. What if he said that? What if Jesus refused to sacrifice his body and his life so that you could live? What if? But instead, what did he do? What did Jesus do instead? He emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave. Instead of preserving himself and his life, he instead humbled himself. Instead of going his own way and doing whatever it is that, that would, uh, he wanted to do, he was still thinking about you. He still wanted to serve you. And that meant being obedient to his father. Obedient even to the point of death. Even death on the cross. That's what he's done for you. The least we could do is give up a little bit of our time. The least we can do is give up a, a little bit of the, the money that he's giving you to steward. It's not your money. The least we could do is, is, is be there for a brother and sister when they're in need. The least we can do because he gave up everything for us. Being a church member and belonging to the local church is not about you. It's about him. It's about Jesus and what he's done for you so that you can have life. You know, if we think about Genesis and how Adam and Eve are walking with God in the cool of the day. And then the, the serpent comes in and is like, well, hey, don't you want some of that fruit over there? Doesn't it look good? Like, yeah, it does kind of look good. It does kind of look all right. But I, I, God told me not to, to, to look at it or even touch it. He was like, well, you, you won't really die. I mean, God said he would die. You won't really die. Go ahead and have some. It's okay. I don't know if this is sounding familiar to some of you. Like when you're struggling in your flesh and, and you're trying to debate and decide and we got that proverbial uh, devil and angel on our shoulders. But they go in and they, they disobey God and his commands and brought sin into this world. Everything was perfect by God's design. And then they bring sin into the world. And since then, we've been trying to fix it. We've been trying to correct it. We, we're all been, been broken. And we're trying to fill it with various things in our lives. We fill it with stuff. I want to buy more things. Maybe it'll feel better. Maybe that, that next thing would make me feel great. Or maybe this, my, my spouse, which, who is a, a good person, a good thing, maybe they can fill this God-sized hole that I have. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. We're trying to fill this brokenness that we have in our lives that can only be corrected and filled by Jesus Christ. And thank God he gave us a way to be reconciled to him. Jesus came on and put on flesh 
lived a life that we couldn't. He paid the price that we couldn't. What you rightly deserve, you talk about your rights. You talk about what you deserve. What you rightly deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. But God gave us this gift of eternal life through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because of his finished work and him sitting now at the right hand of the Father praying for you, looking after you, now we can go back to pursuing God's perfect design for us. On this in this life, it might not look like rainbows and sugar plums and roses, but I tell you, in, in eternity, that's what we look forward to. That's our reward, to get, get to be with him forever and eternity. This is what it looks like. As Christians, we are to have Christ's mindset toward one another, having the same love, being of, of one mind, pursuing no rivalry, doing nothing from empty conceit and always prioritizing the interests of others. So I'm here to ask you today, if you've not submitted your life to Christ, that you would do so today. Maybe you have questions about what that looks like for you in your life. That's why I'm here that's why God has, has given me the role and the ability to be here so that I can answer those questions, walk with you so you can understand what that looks like for you in your life. And not, not only that, we talked about a lot about the body of the church, the, the church members, right? He's put us together for that express reason so that we can be in, around each other and encourage and strengthen one another. Because we need everybody in the body. Everybody has a role and a purpose that is useful and important. So if you have questions today, feel free to ask me. There's, there's other saints here. We've got uh, uh, deacons here that will help you have that conversation. Or maybe you're here today and you, you are a Christ follower and just, you just haven't been about it lately. You haven't been in your, your, your uh, scripture reading uh, on, on a daily basis. You haven't been praying as much. But let us help you. We've all been there. Let us work together to figure out how, what that looks like for you together. Don't, don't go on your own. That's why he put us together as a body of believers. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you so much for this realization. And even, even as we think about it and, and realize that, um, it's not about us, as countercultural as that is, but thank you for giving us the, the, the peace and the excitement that we have in serving you and others. That the, the more that we do serve you, the more we think about you and want to bring you glory, uh, the, the, the more we see that we are working within the purpose that you set before us. Father, help us to realize and see that and Help us to live it out. And Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who has not yet submitted their lives to Christ, that you would draw them to you at this moment and have them make that decision. 
knowing that tomorrow is not promised. This is the most important decision that they would ever make. Continue to keep this message on their mind and have it be like a rock in their shoe as they leave here today and just encourage them to continue to think on it until they decide to come to you. Father, thank you so much. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.